Princess. Prince William. Colors. We're so excited to have you here um, with us, Elena. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Um, as you know, as we said earlier, this is going to go as part of our conversation about the rural crescent to try and inform, um, you know, people in Prince William County who listen to us about what the rural crescent is, what are some of the conversations that are going on around it. Um, so I'll throw it over to Chloe to start things off. Uh, I just wanted to ask you to share a little bit about how you got involved in all of the activism within the rural crescent, maybe you as an individual or even your company at large, I mean, your organization at large. So uh, <clears throat> my husband and I, um, I grew up in Fairfax and my husband traveled around a lot and uh, his dream was to always have land. So uh, we came to Prince William County because this was gonna be his dream where he'd be able to have a tractor, and that was very exciting for him. And I just thought it was beautiful. I always loved the environment and um, we were gonna have a family. So that seemed like a good plan. Mm -hmm. So um, we looked at Loudoun County, we looked in Fairfax and we looked in Prince William and Prince William was by far the most affordable as far as land went. Um, and so at that point in 2000, it was, um, it, it was the minimum 10 acres. And so that's what, they were smaller parcels. Um, so there was a diversity of opportunity and what size we wanted, but we just loved this lot. And um, this is where he saw his, his dream. And so uh, we uh, built our home. And um, when I say we built our home, I mean, we literally built our home. Um, so, you know, by nails and hammers and, um, he was a big part of, you know, putting up the walls and, uh, which made it affordable for us because to hire a general contractor was actually pretty expensive. So for us, we built our home and, um, at that point there were conversations about, um, the Royal Crescent and, um, Gainesville and development. And so that was my introduction. And so I fell in love with just the idea of having rural opportunities. Growing up in Fairfax, which was pretty developed, um, this seemed like the perfect, that happy medium where you had development in parts of Prince William, but you still had rural opportunities. So it felt like being in the country, but not having the urban areas too far away. So, um, by so 2000. Of, oh, sorry. Like, um, if you could also speak to your, or, or, uh, I'm sure you're about to get to that, but your organization as well. Is it um, the Coalition to Protect uh, Prince William? So I'm the executive director for uh, the Coalition to Protect Prince William County, which was organized around protecting um, this area from a transmission line intended to power an Amazon data center. But really, my introduction into land use was with Prince William Conservation Alliance because having just built our home, uh, we experienced our first encroachment into the Royal Crescent, which was in 2003. And so I was introduced to Kim Hose and, and the Prince William Conservation Alliance to figure out how do we protect this amazing asset that wasn't even all that old yet. And so my formal introduction into uh, 
an environmental organization was actually the Prince William Conservation Alliance, of which I am a board member and have been for almost 18 years now, 17 years. So um, that was really land uses. Um, there's nothing like living it to learn it. And so what I learned was why the Rural Crescent was created. Um, you know, it was created as a smart growth tool. It wasn't just for the beauty of the environment, it was uh, as a benefit to everyone in the county. And so for me, it served two, two goals. It was smart fiscally and it was smart environmentally. And what I loved about it was um, it was a way for the community to um, unite. And it didn't matter what um, political persuasion you were, it didn't matter what religion, it didn't matter, nothing mattered. What mattered was that this was a tool that people from different perspectives believed in for different reasons, which I talk about the Royal Crescent as bipartisan because, um, and especially now with so much polarization, we, we really need to find ways to connect. And so that's another reason why I love it, not just because it protects the environment and uh, promotes smart growth, but because it has always been a way for people to unite who may not normally find reasons to um, find common ground. So speaking about that idea of common ground, I mean, I think it is, it, it at least is on the board playing out to be a partisan issue um, with regards to the Republican um, representatives having a portion of the rural crescent in their constituencies, um, Jeanine Lawson being one of them, and um, Pete Caneland, um living in the rural crescent as well. And then talking about, um, you know, that land use is not something that's important to the Democrats. So we've seen it kind of play out in a partisan way in on, on, the, on the board. But not just that, we also see that in the people that come to speak for the rural crescent. So kind of getting into a little bit of the more controversial side of the rural crescent. Um, you say that it's a bipartisan issue that has, and I would agree, I think the environment is something that, that should be a bipartisan issue that everyone can protect Prince William County. However, some of the forces or the people that we, the most, the loudest voices that we hear come and speak at citizen public comment time or um, the elected officials are not necessarily representing the diversity of Prince William County. So can you speak a little bit to your coalition um, and in your work who's reflected in the activism that um, you guys have been a part of? Would you be shocked to know the history of the creation of the Rural Crescent was actually, and this is sort of why I feel like things are kind of turned on its head in a strange way, was actually supported by the Democrats in the East. And it was the Republicans in the West who were opposed to the creation of the Rural Crescent. Is that an interesting sort of Sure. Yeah, of course. But I think also uh, speaking of, I, I think we've, we've obviously we have the first um, minority elected to the um, County Board of Supervisors only in 2019. Mm -hmm. So I think beyond also just party lines with the East being demographically much more diverse than the West is. Um, specifically speaking about the Royal Crescent, we understand that it's about 66% white. Um, but even out of that, the people that come to speak at the at the right now, when they come to speak at the citizen common time, there are, you know, um, there are, if I would say there's undertones, if not overtones, in some of the reasons that people on the East in our conversations see as people in the West trying to protect the rural crescent. Because land wise, the rural crescent doesn't really 
come into the east as much um, as it does onto the western side of the county. When you say land-wise, as far as area-wise, crescent, area-wise, with the vast majority of the rural crescent being on the western side of the county, um, and most of the development being on the east, but also most of the demographic diversity being on the east as well. So just kind of trying to understand a little bit as far as the activism on that goes, obviously the environment is something that can unite everyone. So why do we see this polarization a little bit more about the rural crescent? And, and we don't hear from voices on the East as often a representative of the East um, when it comes to this playing out on the County Board of Supervisors. Well, I think it's been, um, the rural crescent um, as, a, as a smart growth tool um, serves the diversity in the East. I mean, the, the premise of smart growth, of course, is, um, is to promote affordable housing, to promote transit so that your infrastructure dollars are invested in the areas where your highest population lives. That was the underlying premise of the rural crescent. So why it's become so volatile? But where would the affordable housing go? So I think obviously speaking of smart growth, but there is opposition to affordable housing coming into the rural crescent as well. As we know right now, even the projects that are being I, I wouldn't argue that the projects that are being put into the rural crescent right now or recently um, the project that was approved, that's also not affordable, right? The $750,000 median oh, that's price, if you're lucky. price. Of course, yeah. but yeah. neither is a 10 acre parcel of land um, so as I it currently stands. So, so I think what, um, what I'm hearing is people want affordable housing, correct? Like, let's, I think it's important to talk about what is your end goal? Because I had this conversation recently with somebody um, who is interested in affordable housing and also interested in the environment. And so this person said to me, if only there was a way to marry those two things, affordable housing and protecting the environment. And I said, well, what you are describing is smart growth. What I would contend is that the recommendations from COG the recommendations from the EPA are that your affordable housing, part of what makes affordable housing affordable is, is transit, right? The transportation and your infrastructure. So the point about uh, smart growth is that you are supposed to put your high density housing near your transit and near your infrastructure. None of that exists in the rural crescent. So what happens is all your infrastructure dollars will have to go to create all the transit and all the infrastructure. And so the concern is, first of all, who, who's gonna pay for that? So it doesn't make sense to put affordable housing where there's no infrastructure and there's no transit. And so what I remember um, the Democrats running on was transit. And that transit was going to be focused primarily. We're talking about metro, right? Do you remember when they when they ran on they were going to bring metro? Right, and there bridge? is obviously there's a study happening based in the House of Delegates as well as in the um, Senate currently on bringing the metro down to uh, Prince William County. Twenty thirty, one to have metro nearby, something like that. Well, that would be their their hope. They would have metro yeah. by twenty thirty. But one of the requirements for Metro, of course, is density. 
And so my question would be, if you know that Metro, if there ever is gonna be Metro, and, and I would like to see that happen, um, would be focused in the East, then why would you wanna put people um, far away from transit? And we understand that, but the yeah. question is, we already have the density in the East, correct? Like there aren't as many green spaces and we don't have the transportation solutions. So it's not as though we have had smart growth the way that it is already. And most of Prince William County, as you know, was rural at one point, very recent. I mean, the construction development of Prince William County has been very fast. So to say that Lake Ridge wasn't rural 30 years ago would be a misnomer. In fact, most of the county would be what we consider the rural crescent. So I guess what we kind of want to get towards is this idea. I mean, and you could say that there's been significant growth also in Gainesville, the Gainesville district. Sure, the but district. 51% of the county, not much, not much so, right? So not in well, what has been the, defined the, as the rural crescent. The, the, so the West, yes, because yeah, it so, has the room for growth. Right. The East where we don't have as much room for growth because it's already been developed. Um, and so obviously this is a Prince William County issue as a whole, right? The environment, the areas, all of that, you're absolutely correct. It's, it's, it's something that we all need to come together nonpartisanly to, to come and address. I think we're speaking from an Eastern perspective of, of trying to understand, that's where most of our listeners are as well, um, of just trying to understand how this is a Prince William County issue, um, you know, as a whole that affects us. And most people in the East, honestly, most people probably in the county would not even understand what the rural crescent is. We wouldn't even Which know is, what the rural crescent is. Right. And it's funny because I used to say um, in Prince William County to, to the Republican supervisors who did not support the rural crescent um, because they wanted to develop it. Because generally people who benefit the most from developing the rural crescent are not going to be Prince William County residents. It's going to be the developers. It's going to be the land speculators. It's going to be the large lot landowners. Um, if, you, if you believe in the tenets of smart growth, of which I do, then what you would be promoting would be sprawl. And sprawl doesn't benefit sure. anybody, right? So, um, so that would be, so, so I would say, why do we want to promote sprawl? But so I understand those. And I think the way, as you know, we're social justice focused as well. And so um, kind of moving a little bit more towards the idea of how this also impacts other issues. The environmental issue does not exist in a vacuum, neither does sprawl, neither does development in general, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. We already know that life expectancy is different between the West and the East. We know that green spaces are different between the West and the East. These are all studied issues that we have. We also know that for approximately you know, five to 10% of the county's population, much of the discussions that happen on the county board supervisors are related to land use and opposition to development in the rural crescent. Um, recently, you, know, you talked about affordable housing, one of the things that Supervisor Bailey had brought up was the idea of that you would like to see work, work, workforce housing, which is similar to um, affordable housing. Um, the Friends of the Rural Crescent, which is another organization or another mobilization um, group, um, there's public comments in their opposition to workplace housing coming into the Rural Crescent as well, or any kind of development in the Rural Crescent. So the question becomes, is this just people that are wealthy? And I mean, and I'm, and open to obviously your perspective on this, is this just wealthy people that were able to access 10 acre parcels of land or large parcels of land and don't want other people essentially coming into or you know the diversification that has happened to other parts of Prince William County. And, and we've seen you know flight of certain communities from those areas. 
that they just don't want that to happen in the rural crescent. So the it environmental just, issues and other things are easy excuses, if you will, when we're not really addressing what is truly at the heart of the issue, which is inequity between the West and the East and in between, whether that's economic, whether that's demographic, racial, how are you guys also addressing those concerns that a vast majority of Prince William County residents have um, in so your would, environmental would, activism? So I guess here's my question. Um, when you drive out to the rural crescent, I, I'm gonna, I guess I, I'm curious. What have you seen when you've driven to the rural crescent and you've gone down the country roads and you've explored um, what the rural crescent really looks like? What what have your observations been? I mean, for me, go ahead, Chloe. No, you're fine. Um, I I just want to say that when I go out there, I particularly see big houses and lots of land surrounding it, and not much, uh, not many stores. But I do see some of the things she mentioned, like tractors and smaller farms in the Royal Crescent that I typically don't see on this side of the county, the eastern side. So when you've come out to the Royal Crescent, what, I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, what, do you know what roads you, you've been down? I don't know specifically which roads I have been down. Right, so I drive to Loudoun County all the time. My sister lives in Loudoun County and we take, go through the inside ways. Um, to go down to Loudoun County, and obviously I was born and raised in, in Prince, I mean, not born, but raised in Prince William County since early on. And I think the difference is pretty, I, I live right at the end of 234. So 234 being the road that's kind of the main access point for a lot of us into the rural crescent, um, you know, and, and then going into Noakesville or going into areas of uh, parts of Gainesville, et cetera. Um, and I would argue, I, I would, I would agree with Chloe. I mean, it's very different visibly, not because we necessarily see open spaces that are accessible by all, but because we see open spaces that are private property um, of, of people that do have, you know, large tracts of land, um, some being farms, um, some being farms well, open curious, to the public. I'm, I'm of curious because, because I know that where I live, um, you go down Waterfall Road, you go down Mountain Road, you go down um, you go down um, Log Mill Road, uh, Quaker Lane, those are all small lots, like one acres, two acres. Are people acres. able to purchase those lots now though? Are, the, are you able to purchase a one acre lot and build on it? Uh, you could if, if you found a one acre lot, sure. I mean, so I guess my question would be when I look at affordable housing, do you have to be able to build a new home or are you looking at affordable housing as the ability to purchase? Um, I, I mean, I think that's one of the questions. When you say affordable housing, what number are we looking at? Well, I mean, it, it would truly depend on what the economic opportunities that exist for the people as well. But what we're talking about is, you know, apartment buildings, for example, as well, right? So, um, and, I would, and I would contend that smart growth is predicated on you have your development area where you can focus your transit, your infrastructure, your water, your sewer, um, your, your investment in all that infrastructure, including schools and your mass transit. If you put apartment buildings in a rural area, how are those, so, so one of the biggest um, costs of uh, factored into affordable housing is of course transit. So I guess my question- But we don't have that currently in the East as well. We, we keep coming back to this idea of transit and, and smart growth, which is obviously important. But you do have buses. Point. You have buses, you have VRE. Which are not largely utilized or not able, they don't run on such a 
schedule in which many people use them, right? So we have OmniRide, which is people going into DC and, and going to DC. People in the Rural Crescent also work, right? So I think this idea that the Rural Crescent is not all farmers. In fact, there is support from a lot of farmers who do want to sell their land. Struggling right, farmers. So, right. So, so as opposed to, so what's interesting, did you see the recent passage of the um, arts and, and uh, agricultural arts and overlay district? Uh, no. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Actually, just okay. recently that just happened to improve, to promote agro-tourism. Right. So what I would say is part of the reason why we haven't had that economic development in the rural area is because you haven't had a board willing to really um, incentivize a lot of those opportunities. So um, I, I guess I'm just a creature of of what I believe the tenants of smart growth are. And the tenants of smart growth are as you don't put um, high density housing in areas that don't have the infrastructure. The other question I think that, that people are not considering is that part of the reason why the Rural Crescent was carved out is because it's the Occoquan um, watershed. So I'm curious, when you talk about developing the Rural Crescent, what have you learned about the importance of um, our water sources? I mean, so, so I guess my question would be, what are your concerns when you talk about developing the Rural Crescent? Um, so we're asking, uh, I mean, I think more so to you as obviously, please let us know as we've heard concerns and people that spoke up, um, especially with regard to Supervisor Kenny Bodie, who does represent um, the Occoquan district as well, um, that people had brought up concern about water quality, et cetera. I live um, on Cherry Hill or what previously used to be known as Cherry Hill. So I oh, live in Southbridge right next to the water as well. Mm -hmm. It except there was also development here, the entire Potomac Shores community. Oh, there um, was a lot of it. There was a lot of. In fact, did you know that Prince William Conservation Alliance um, was very involved yes. in? Yeah, absolutely. Now, However, now, did you live here when that was? Um, no, I, I mean I, I was younger, so I younger. wasn't as included in you know or right. didn't see myself included in a lot of conversations that were happening in the county. But. To get back again to the thing, we understand that there's our environmental concerns. Absolutely. You know, cut down a single tree or impact any single pollute, any single water source or have construction around there. We're obviously going to have environmental factors that need to be considered. And that affects all of us. But at the same time, I want to come back to the original question. Your coalition um, on its website lists the Sons of Confederate, Confederate Veterans as one of the people that is a part of that coalition. You mentioned that it's a bipartisan or nonpartisan, if you will, organization. When communities of color, which live on the Eastern side of the county, see that, when they see the people that are speaking at the public common time, people that have oftentimes public figures that have been associated with preserving the Rural Crescent, speak against the type of people that they don't wanna see in the Rural Crescent, it does become an issue that's also has a racial tinge to it. So, and so what are you guys doing to address well, me, those? Me, right, well, let me address that. Yeah. So uh, the Coalition to Protect Prince William County involved the Alliance to Save Carver Road as much as it did all the other people who live in the Rural Crescent. And the Sons of the Confederate were specific to graveyards. And the specific graveyard that they were protecting was one that has a shared history on Antioch Baptist Church, which is part of the scenic byway. So uh, that's a Virginia historical part of Prince William County. So uh, I, I don't think that, you know, I guess I, I as far as, as their involvement in the coalition, that was to 
protect the entire area from a transmission line, which um, was threatening to everybody. And so right, we but believe you, in protecting, again, we, look at we, the believe, we, we, we believe of course in protecting um, all the cemeteries and, and, you know, I mean, that heritage was, of, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, yet at the same time, I'm sure you can also respect of people's perception and largely there hasn't been much done to correct that. There are no black organizations or minority organizations that are listed as a part of your coalition. Also- The Alliance to Save Carver Road. No, no, I'm talking about the bigger organization. So obviously Carver Road is, it has an important historical aspect for Prince William County. And, you know, of course, but when you- We were have- actually there last night advocating to protect that to protect that very community that absolutely and i think that's, that's so really i want to make sure that's, 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 that people i want to make sure that people understand that uh the coalition to protect prince william county and the prince william conservation alliance show up to protect our neighbors and but it's also who um, you're willing to partner with right so um supervisor yesley vega has been applauded a lot um, Supervisor Janine Lawson, Pete Canneland, when all of those people also have voted against the interests of minority communities. And so it almost seems like yeah. if you're able to get your ends, and I know that you personally have done a lot of activism against 287G, you have spoken out against a lot of actions that have been taken against minority communities in this. So this isn't at all a personal attack on you. This is to try and help us understand a little bit more of why well, I'm curious. I, so I, I, and I understand, um, it's really important that everybody feel like they have a voice in, in the community. And what I'm sharing is that smart growth is what marries affordable housing with the, with the existential threat of climate change. And if we do not protect our rural areas where we recharge our water and we protect our green space, and uh, we protect uh, carbon capture, then um, we are not thinking of the future. And so my concern is, I believe that the EPA and that COG has the right formula. And the right formula- but those, those are right longer-term goals that, you put, that, are not, that are not also addressing the lived reality of people currently on the East, right? So we have- a density so how that do you is get affordable housing? How do you get affordable housing if you don't have the roads, you don't have the sewer, you don't have you do on the, the electrical? So I mean, currently, so we curious. do have, we do have, so obviously there's investment dollars that need to go into developing certain areas. But when 51% or approximately 51% of the county is untouchable, right? People want them to not even build data centers, not have any source of revenue, additional revenue that can come from those areas. But, but we just had this discussion about the AAOD. And so we have opportunities in the rural area for lots of commercial development, but it's rural commercial development that's less intense on the environment, that still has opportunities for um for um economic development, which actually the alliance has been having a many programs on. So I guess you and I differ that way. I, I actually look at data centers as a real impediment um, to the future of Prince William County, if not in the right place. How and so? so we have, how so? Okay, so with the data center comes very specific infrastructure needs, power being one of them. 
which we all pay for. And then you have water. And then you have the issue of impervious surfaces. So now what you've done is you've taken the areas where we recharge the Akakon watershed and you've put millions of square feet of data center. And so as opposed to focusing on the overlay district um, where there's still thousands of square feet available, now we're looking at green space. So not only is that forward thinking about who pays for it, because we all do, but it's also- We also get the tax revenue, which was recently increased, is still very much marginal of what exists in Loudoun County. Yeah. But the tax, I mean, the tax revenue is also a huge, something that does, you know, anyone would argue pays, pays back as far as the infrastructure costs go. Well, but, when we end up paying millions of dollars, though, for, I mean, this was a huge fight, obviously, this was um, something that we spent four years fighting. And I mean, my issue with the data centers um, is that we supply these huge extension cords, which cost multi, I mean, we're talking maybe at its best $50 million of infrastructure. And that doesn't include the water. And that doesn't include the substation. And then we lose opportunities for um, rural agricultural opportunities like carbon capture. And we instead replace it with data centers, which don't provide many jobs. When we have an overlay district that was specifically created for these uses, I guess I'm just I don't believe that citizens should have to pay for the infrastructure for these big tech companies when they should be we would uh, get placed in, the, in areas. So just just for so people understand, I mean, right now we are a dollar and a half, where it was just increased to a dollar sixty-five, I believe, tax. Um, we will on, if it passes. Yeah. Sure, but largely considering who uh, put it forth, there's an expectation that it would pass the the marginal increase. Loudoun County is closer to four dollars. Right. They're four dollars and twenty cents. Yeah. Right. As far as the tax that's that's charged for data centers. Right. So there's a lot of opportunity and incentive for data centers to come to Prince William County on land that is currently not being used. When and you say not being used, what do you mean? It's there isn't development on that land. Currently. So you look at green space as opportunities to just put development. Well, what I'm saying is for for revenue for those schools that are overcrowded for those. Projects that you were not put schools in the rural crescent for which communities. Um, I mean, are for, you are you taking I'm saying, people? I'm talking about just where that dollars would go, not just for the rural crescent for everyone, right? Right. For, I mean, for and where that's that money would, would go. Is, I'm not. Exactly. I'm not advocating for data centers. I think to oh, go okay. back again, our big. What, what I'm just saying is that there are two sides. These are discussions that I think are very important and need to happen. Correct. I think those are really important discussions that need to happen. Another important discussion that needs to happen, which we've been raising um, throughout this interview, is the idea of the diversity of the coalition of people, and not just your coalition with reference to coalition, but coalition in general, of people that are fighting to protect the rural crescent, seem to be avoiding the elephant in the room um, about the demographics that are most affected by development on the east or not affected by development that are in the rural crescent area. Again, 66% of the rural crescent is, is white. Many of the people that have moved into the rural crescent, so this isn't like necessarily we're talking about an indigenous population. There are people like yourself that have decided to come and live, own parcels of land, build their houses, live out their dreams in the rural crescent, but also the live reality of, of people of color, people of economically disadvantaged backgrounds that are not being included in the conversation. And on top of that, the people that you're partnering with, a lot of the, not just you specifically, again, 
the coalition to the coalitions to protect the Royal Crescent are partnering with are at the expense of communities of color. So it's almost to say, say we want to protect the Royal Crescent, yeah. but we don't care if you're being jailed because later on you'll see the impacts of it. Speaking of I'm 287G. I'm sorry. 287G, right? So 287G was something that was supported by the people that uh, elected officials, right? That are currently also supporting the Royal Crescent. You're willing to there's partner with those. No, there's, there's, uh, so 287G ended up being supported by, um, I mean, if we're going to go back in time, um, by ultimately everybody on the board of supervisors, including the Democrats, in in exchange for I'm not talking not, about partisan, I'm talking about communities of color. So I'm talking about 287G, right. for example, Supervisor I'm, I'm Yesley Vega. I'm, I'm sorry, I guess I'm, I'm missing, you're saying- Supervisor Yesley Vega okay. came out and supported publicly 287G. At the time when 287G was an issue, everyone, as they know, 287G thankfully is not an issue in this community anymore. Yet, are you willing to disavow, essentially the question is, are you willing to disavow groups like Sons of Confederate Veterans who are part of your coalition? Politicians who are opposed to the interests of communities of color who have acted in uh, opposition to the interests of communities of color in this community, are you willing to disavow them from your coalition so that you can then invite a okay, larger I, coalition of people from this county that are represented in this county? But but what I'm I guess what I'm hearing you say is people feel like they're left out of the conversation for affordable housing and smart growth. No, and about protecting I'm, the rural crescent. So obviously so the rural crescent is predicated on a land use on a on a land use tool called smart growth. Smart growth is uh, supported by the Environmental Protection Agency and by COG, and they connect smart growth to affordable housing. We understand smart that. growth is supposed to, at its best, promote affordable housing where you have the most infrastructure. And getting back to the original thing, we understand transit. smart growth. We understand smart growth. We understand the conversation. So about I guess smart what growth. I'm wondering is how do you get smart growth in an area that has no transit, no roads, no infrastructure? How That's do you argue for environmental protectionism? How do you argue for environmental protectionism for people across this county when you're not willing to address the other issues that are affecting them? It's 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 an issue that we see across the board as well, right? Like clean water and, and green spaces, and like I, I would say that um, when the rural crescent was adopted, it was almost like um, just that first step was taken, and what didn't happen was the AAOD to incentivize farming, incentivize those opportunities that um, I think benefit everybody. Um, I mean, now I would say with the existential threat of climate change, I would love to see incentivizing carbon capture. And so what I'm asking getting is back what to are the, the- We what, understand those, but getting back benefits? to the diversification, the diversification of the people that are fighting for the rural crescent are part of the coalition, or even the diversification of the rural crescent. Essentially stopping any development in the rural crescent means that you're not allowing for- But see, I would argue that that I think that if you were actually to look at the opportunities for affordable housing, and maybe you and I look at, at affordable housing differently, I'm looking at affordable housing as actually a specific number. I'm looking at affordable housing um, opportunities that I would say with the adoption of the 28 Godwin extension was really damaging to those communities. And 
I know there are a lot of people in uh, that I know who advocate for the Royal Crescent on, on the same breath also advocated to uh, support the community that turned out to stop the 28 extension because, Which you know- Which was a lot of misinformation it, was, about that as well. Um, and, and there's obviously a I'm lot sorry, of- I'm mis sorry, misinformation about what? About the 28 expansion that had happened in the community. But what was the that's, misinformation? A, that's a separate, that's a separate Except issue. Except that that is affordable housing. Sure, but, but if we talk I mean, about- In 20 fact, there was just an article today, or I'm sorry, yesterday in the Prince William Times. And it talked about the importance of opportunities for affordable housing um, in more in the development area that included trailer parks and mobile homes. And I instantly thought of the community that's going to be displaced for the extension for the Godwin extension. And I also thought about was there a mobilization of the trailer park that exists on the east that was communities were threatened to be displaced because the landowner decides to sell the land. So, you know what? I, I guess can I'm only, just saying. I can only speak to the question here that you want to. I think the conversation we really want to get to is affordable housing, right? I mean, no, I, I think I, the I, conversation I, we want to get to, and and we unfortunately have to wrap up the interview, is also um, the idea of as we wrap up the interview, are you willing to disavow those groups that act in opposition to the interests of communities of color from this coalition that has been built to discuss, around? I, so I'm here to discuss what I think is the end goal for all of us, which is. How do you ensure that we deal with the existential threat of climate change? There's and also other how do you ensure, how do you ensure and, and, and how do you ensure that people have affordable housing and that they have access to good jobs, they have access to green space, they have access to healthy, sustainable communities? And from the Conservation Alliance perspective, I mean, that is our goal. Our goal has always been sustainable, healthy communities for everyone. Well, we hope um, that that coalition gets more diverse. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate your time. We hope, you know, we we understand that this is a uphill battle in a lot of ways. Yeah, We'd love to have I think a follow-up discussion common. as well. I think we have a lot in common. I think um, at the end of the day, everybody wants to have quality communities. Absolutely. Everybody and I think wants if we get a more diverse, safe. and I think these conversations are extremely important. So that's why we are truly thankful to you because I think the more people we bring to the table, the more perspectives, viewpoints, so that we can build a community that is more reflective of all of us and also reflective of the vision that hopefully we see in the future. Um, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Okay, so y'all, I know you have been with us um, for this conversation for a while now, so I'll try to keep my comments short, even though I have so many thoughts about the episode that I've about the conversation that I was not able to sit on. Um, so in terms of uh, affordability aspect of a rural crescent, I think it from a college student perspective, I am a low-income college student. And when I think about college, if my college was not able to offer me affordable options or did not provide me the money that it did, um, I would not have been able to go to college or get the education that I want. Um, it's, it's literally simple as that. We love parading the diversity of our colleges, but we will not be able to achieve that diversity or be in this situation if these colleges have not made themselves affordable or, or some of these colleges have not made themselves themselves affordable or have had options for low-income folks like us. Um, and the same thing applies to Rural Crescent. We are in favor of affordable housing being placed there because we want people to disperse around the county. We want 
every part of this county to be diverse, not just the eastern part to be uh, full of black and brown people and the western part being um, full of like white folks. And, and then overall, we look at the data and we're like, oh, Prince William County is so diverse. But when we look at the areas um, sep and the county's area separately, it's, it's pretty segregated in terms of that. But, and we acknowledge that most of our conversations end up being about racial demographics, whether it be in, in schools, juvenile system, or land issues. And that is because we would not be giving you all a full picture or if we don't talk about these issues, or maybe we talk about it because many of the people in power in the system have chosen to ignore it, to ignore us. So at the end, all I'm trying to say is that race matters and is relevant. And even though that statement is so normal, um, the idea, this idea of equity has just become so radical in the society, is actually disappointing to an extent. So also let's stop saying stuff like we're playing the race card um, when it comes to um, conversations like these. I mean, that implies that we're exploiting our experiences we've had because of being black or brown or low income, whatnot. Um, and that's, that doesn't make sense. How can we exploit something that has already been exploited and abused by the system? And uh, this phrase of playing the card, our experiences, they're not tools for us. Many of us wish we never had experiences. So we, we should really refrain from saying things like this and actually sit and listen when people of these communities talk. There's no reason for us to get defensive when they say that such land preservation might have some racial motive to it. And when it comes to an environmental as aspect, trust me, we also want to save the planet. It's so disappointing to see everyone who tries to point out some stuff about the rural crescent or um, have um, ideas for affordable housing to be placed there. Those people are painted as somebody who, just, who doesn't care about the planet. And that's just, so listen, these people are trying to protect themselves and the planet. So let's actually listen to them. We've not listened to them for a while. We've kept them out of the narrative. We've kept them out of all the conversations. And it's time we change that. So now I will stop myself um, from talking because I know it's been a long episode. I mean, don't get me wrong. We enjoy making these episodes. And even though this has been a long episode, um, you still might be confused at the end. And that is so completely okay. I am still confused. I still don't know so much about this issue. But that is the very reason why we should have these conversations, educate ourselves, because at the end of the day, it's not only about the rural crescent. We are trying to change the mindset, mindset of our elected leaders in this county, of the people who think their race is not relevant to these. We're trying to make this narr narrative more broader, more inclusive of everyone. So on that note, we will see you for our next episode. Bye, y'all. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us and stay tuned for an upcoming episode on local issues and identities. Remember, the views expressed on this podcast are those of the content creators and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect those of an official entity. This has been Prince William Colors. Prince William Colors is an inclusive production. If you have questions, an idea for an episode, or just want to get involved, 
contact princewilliamcolors at gmail.com. More episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So don't forget to subscribe.